millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Sometimes when you see an NHL player struggle, even he doesn't know why his body isn't cooperating. This is Frankly Speaking, presented by Betway. If you're going to place a bet, bet on Betway. Ontario only, 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Today's guest is Cody Hodgson, who we last saw in the NHL in 2016. He called that season with the Nashville Predators, quote, a literal struggle. Less than 12 months earlier, he was bought out by the Buffalo Sabres just two seasons into a six-year, $25.5 million contract. What happened? He didn't wake up one day and forget how to play hockey. He didn't have a crisis of confidence. No, his career was derailed by malignant hyperthermia, which is a severe reaction to particular drugs used for anesthesia. It's a condition Hodgson always knew he had, but doctors couldn't explain why he was experiencing flare-ups that made him uncontrollably hot and unable to regulate his body temperature. So Hodgson was forced to stop playing at the age of 26, halting what had been a promising career. He was drafted 10th overall by the Vancouver Canucks. We're very proud to select from the Brampton Battalion, Cody Hodgson. And if you recall, that was a pretty deep draft class with Steven Stamkos, Drew Doughty, and Alex Petrangelo all going in the top five. Hodgson burst into the NHL in 2010 as he helped the Canucks put on a clinic, winning the President's Trophy and advancing to the Stanley Cup Final. The following season, Hodgson was dealt on deadline day in 2012 to the Buffalo Sabres for Zach Cassian, who was also a high first-round pick and one year younger. The biggest shocker of the day, sending prize rookie Cody Hodgson to Buffalo for Zach Cassian. It was a really surprising deal at the time, just minutes before the deadline, a swap with the Sabres for two totally different styles. Canucks GM Mike Gillis saying he was trading away skill and finesse for big and brawn. Hodgson's first two seasons in Buffalo were solid before malignant hypothermia took a hold of his body. And after his point production was cut by two-thirds, a precipitous drop, The Sabres took advantage of a unique one-third buyout for players under the age of 26 and cut him loose. But Hodgson's love for hockey never wavered, even if his body didn't cooperate. He sought alternative treatments, and after feeling like himself again, Hodgson returned to the ice in January eight years after announcing his retirement 
Signing a tryout deal with the AHL's Milwaukee Admirals. Right, Cody Hodgson scores his first. In our conversation, we'll talk about his path back to the rink, the struggle of having the game ripped away from you, and the key to keeping promises to yourself. Here's my chat with Cody Hodgson. Cody, you went 2,885 days between playing pro hockey games, March 1st, 2016 to January 24th, 2024. Give me one word to describe how your body was feeling the next day after 2,885 days off. (laughs) I just felt great. I feel better now than when I was playing the first time. So that's, uh, that's a good feeling. Okay, so then tell me what it was like to get back out there mentally and and what you were feeling just having kind of even getting a chance to make it all the way back. Well, that part's crazy. That that part was the tough one. Yeah, the mentally, the, the game's moving so quick and uh, the guys are so fast. But uh, I think they've uh, really put me in a good position here to succeed. The coaching staff and they tried to get me ready. They didn't put me in a game right away. It was nice to kind of get some practices under my belt and get used to the pace and the speed of everything. So... Yeah, I'm getting more comfortable every time. So I think the big question that everyone wants to know is why? Why did you decide to make a comeback after nearly eight years off the ice? Oh, I always told myself if I felt better, if I could, I would, or at least try. So this summer when everything changed and my body, I could feel everything kind of working properly again. I, I contacted the old doctors that told me I couldn't play it. And I would, you know, it would be fatal if I tried. Asked them to retest me for everything, heart, lungs, kidney, liver, and uh, everything came back clean. So I was excited to get th- to hear that. And then, you know, I was skating with some buddies and I was about 45 pounds heavier than I am now. And they're joking about coming back. And I thought, well, I'd love to if I could. And then started thinking, you know, what, maybe, I, maybe I could. So I, I asked them, the same doctors if they could monitor me while I was, you know, skating and pushing a little more and pushing a little more and thinking this disorder that I had would trigger. And it hasn't so far. And it's been really, you know, smooth this whole time. So, you know, hopefully that continues. And I'm feeling great. Yeah, so let's talk about that disorder so everyone can understand what exactly you were dealing with. Malignant hyperthermia. What is it and you know, how did you manage it? Oh, uh, it's a muscle disorder. You know, most people would uh, know it from an allergy to anesthesia. That's kind of the way I grew up thinking it was. So if I was in a car accident or something happened on the ice and I needed to have surgery, I needed to tell the doctors that, you know, that I'm allergic to this type of anesthesia. So if I if I had the anesthesia, my whole body would react and have this basically allergic reaction that causes your temperature to spike and blood pressure to drop. And then, you know, the rest of the symptoms that follow your lungs start shutting down, your kidneys failing and a lot of symptoms from there that is fatal. So, you know, it wasn't really a question of while I was playing that now they show that other things can trigger it too. And and when I was given this piece of paper after I had the surgery confirmed that I had it, I was like, avoid contact sports, avoid prolonged physical activity, avoid going from hot to cold or cold, cold to hot and uh, high intensity exercise. Yeah, high stress environment. So basically a job description of playing in the National Hockey League. But, you know, working with those same doctors and being able to get uh, some medication, the right medication and just fully oxygenating my whole body and everything's been great. So it hasn't triggered at all. So you didn't know that you had it while you were playing in the NHL. Is that right? No, I let everyone know that I had it. So if if I got and say knocked out on the ice or I needed to have surgery, that the doctors would know not to give me that type of anesthesia. That's all it was. Even when I came back with symptoms and I knew I had 
malignant hypothermia, the, the doctors were like, okay, so we can't give you a cert, certain anesthesia. But just recently, the doctor said other things can trigger. It's kind of like an awake triggering. And that's what I had, unfortunately. I had a full-blown rhabdomyolysis. So you know, I was having some, some trouble breathing and having heart arrhythmias and whole body was shaking. I was urinating blood. So it was uh, pretty scary for a while. They were testing me for brain, liver, lung cancer, all that stuff that was wrong with me um, until I found out exactly what it was. And it's just a genetic disorder. So I've been able to live a normal life since, but just uh, was told I couldn't play hockey anymore, which obviously sucks. But in the grand scheme of things, I played six years at the time and, you know, could do everything outside of hockey. I just couldn't play professional sports. So that was tough, but at least it wasn't a terminal illness like they were testing me for with my brain and liver and lungs and that kind of stuff for, for cancers. So when you were going through your last pro season, you knew what it was, but you couldn't find a way. Like, obviously, you're, you're struggling through it. How did you get through it? No, we, we thought it might have been something else like cancer or something like that. So that's why I was doing all those tests while I was playing. And I was, you know, having some symptoms at night. I'd take myself to the hospital a couple of times and it was really scary for a few months. And then once I was told, actually, while I had to stop is because I was told these are all common symptoms of malignant hyperthermia. And if I continued, it would be fatal. And if I didn't get the right drugs, even it would have been fatal. So I was, uh, I was fortunate to hook up with the, the malignant hypothermia unit in Toronto, where I'm from just happened to be that that was, you know, the closest people that I was talking to. And they confirmed all my symptoms were matched perfectly with malignant hypothermia. So that was a relief, actually. You know, they told me I couldn't play hockey anymore, but at least I knew what the issue was and there was medication for it. So, you know, I had to stop playing, but at least I'd be alive and could live a normal life. So from the time you stopped playing until you decided to get back on the ice again, what were you up to? Uh, I got into real estate in Nashville, but uh, more importantly, I was I was overseeing the youth development for the Predators too. So all the kids starting from four to nine years old that wanted to play hockey and we'd give them full gear, head to toe, everything, and then six on ice sessions with alumni and hope to grow the game. That was what I was doing for yeah, the last seven years. And then about uh, six months before I started actually training again, I, I moved home. My brother just had a kid and my other sister's pregnant. So I just wanted to come home and be an uncle and be around family more. And then started playing hockey. I started, you know, joined a Gary Roberts game. Eric Linderos has a game. So getting out there and joining the guys on the ice. And I started realizing it by about August that, you know, I could push it a little more. And started really seeing what I could do. So you're you're dinking and dunking around Toronto in these, you know, games with some high-level players still, but I guess more or less kind of like a beer league level, right? And you're keeping tabs, I guess, a little bit closely on what's happening in the NHL? Like what are you following the game? Like what were you up to then? Yeah. I mean, I was still just a fan, but uh, obviously on the outside, nothing crazy, just, you know, following exactly what's, you know, who's winning and what's going on with certain guys and just keeping tabs on former players. And that's, that's actually how I got back into it. I was, I texted some buddies and said, hey, if you started feeling really good after these skates and normally I wouldn't be able to, you know, walk upstairs or things like that the next day, I have to take a breather to take these pills and, I'd be really shut down for at least a day. But uh, after everything changed this summer, I was realized I could play the next day and the next day if I wanted to. So started pushing it. But these skates, are, they're great. It was, it was really a lot of fun, but I wanted a little more. So I texted uh, Cameron Gauntz and Kevin Carr and guys that are still playing. I said, hey, if you ever need an extra guy, you know, you got 19 guys and you need 20, like I'd love to come out and play, you know, a little intensity. And so they said, yeah, sure. You can come out if you want to. And and, uh, you know, I loved it. It was great. A little more intense. And those guys were still training. Like, they're, they're trying to play in the National Hockey League. So it was a lot of fun to get back out there and, and really compete. So as you're rebuilding kind of brick by brick, when did you realize that 
you could pull it off physically? Like, was there a breakthrough moment? Was there something that you said, you know what, um, I can really give this a go? Well, it really wasn't until probably like mid-December because I was training just thinking that this thing would trigger again and I would, you know, have to stop. But I wanted to push it and push it and push it as hard as I've ever pushed in my entire life just to make sure I couldn't. And then if I, I didn't want to start playing again, then have to stop a week or two into it and say, hey, sorry, guys, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. But, you know, this thing is is still here. So, you know, and, that, and obviously that could happen. But uh, I've pushed it now harder than I've, than I've done in my entire life. So, you know, knock on wood, everything stays kosher. But, you know, the amount that I've trained now and the amount that I've been able to really push through and, and nothing's come up, has, it's been amazing. It's been a great experience. I got on the ice after I, you know, played with these guys and they all left for the fall. They all, you know, obviously went to their teams. I, I contacted an old trainer. He wanted me to come out. I would, I would skate maybe once a year with him just for fun, come in the summers and, and see the guys and, and then I wouldn't be able to do much, you know, the next couple of days. So he allowed me to come out and skate. And then he's like, Cody, you got to come back. And I kind of just brushed it off and said, thanks. You know, I appreciate it. But, you know, this time by about August, I was, I was moving pretty well. And I could realize I could do it more than once a week. So I started to skate with him more. And then he just said, I got ice for you this fall. If you want to keep coming and training and we'll see what you can do. And that's how it started. So it's one thing to think that you can maybe do it, but it's another thing for someone else that's running an NHL team or an AHL organization to be able to say, Hey, yeah, I'll give him a chance. So when you first started making calls and obviously you have a connection with the Preds, given the time you spent working there and, and the last year playing there, I'm assuming they were your first call, but what was that conversation like? Were they like, no, seriously, like you, you want to do this? What, what was it? Did they take you seriously from the jump? I first thought it was a little bit nuts. So I, I was kind of just like teasing it around to guys that have played and, and you know, know the games. I told uh, Eric Linderos and he got really excited and he made some phone calls and said, you know, if you're going to do this, this is, you know, you got to talk to these guys here. And he really kind of set the, the wheels in motion from that perspective, getting it out in the media. And I think Hockey Night in Canada mentioned it. And then with Gary Roberts, obviously, I see him, you know, once a week. So just asked him kind of what temperature would be, how I'd do this. And I just talked to people that have been in the game a long time and asked for their advice. I called Guy Boucher, which is, wasn't a coach of mine and in junior and he kind of knows my character. And I called Terry Crisp with the, the Predators and they all kind of gave me the same advice. They said, just, you know, you can't really expect too much. It's been eight years. So, you know, start wherever you can. If you need to go, just call them and say, hey, I'll come practice with you guys. I'll pay my own way and expenses. And if you think I can help your team, then, you know, that'd be great. So Terry was really inspirational on that. He just said, you know, these guys have to see you first. They're not, no one's going to take you on a on a tryout basis or sign you to a PTO if they haven't seen you skate. So that's what I did. I called Scott Nickel. I called a few teams, but Scott was a little hesitant in the beginning, obviously, as the, the GM here in Milwaukee. And then he said, uh, you know, I was thinking about it last night, the night before, and the night after and he said i'm going to push trots to see if we can get this done so i'm really thankful for that i'm really thankful that he gave me a chance i wasn't playing with the organization when when he got hired i was already retired so he just knew me from kind of an office you know that type of relationship it wasn't a hockey related one so how quickly did things move from the time that you really thought you could do it until actually showing up in milwaukee well i think it was probably end of the summer when I figured I'm going to try to do this. So it was end of August. So it was probably, yeah, five, six months of actual pushing and training and hopefully not having it trigger. And then from the time that I felt comfortable that I wasn't going to trigger it again, like two weeks, it was, it was really quick. It was right after Christmas that I started making phone calls and then it, yeah, it just happened right away. And 
they said, yeah, can you come down tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'll be there. So got on a flight, checked into the hotel the next day, show up on the ice and got all new gear and tried to keep up with the guys. And they've been awesome here. You know, the coaching staff has put me in situations where I can succeed and the players are so friendly and, and, and helpful. It's, it's nice. They got a lot of respect for the game and, and each other. And I can see why they won so many games in a row. Like I came in the middle of a winning streak and, you know, it just finally ended, but it's been a great run here for about two months. Yeah, that was my next question. It's one thing to join a team as a PTO guy, but it's another thing to get inserted into the lineup while they're on an absolute heater. What's that that part of it been like? Oh, it's been awesome. They're a great group. Yeah, like I said, I can understand why they won so much. It's not necessarily the on ice X's and O's and and how hard they work, which they have that. You know, it's a great coaching staff. They have the systems, they have the talent. But the way they come together off the ice and, and the way they they care about each other is is what makes it special. When guys block a shot, they're just as excited to have them fired up as someone who scores a goal at the other end. So amazing goaltending and just yeah, real powerhouse all the way through from the defense uh, on out. It's been a fun experience being a part of this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Have doctors given you any reason as to why this hasn't fired up again? Like what, what is the medical reason for why it's sort of worked out for you? Well, I, I now have drugs that if it does trigger, I can suppress it. I mean, at least I've been able to get on less and less of the drugs that would cause me to, you know, be basically a zombie um, and you can't operate on, you can't play at a high level. But honestly, I, I might sound like a crazy person, but I, I started doing this, I understood the benefits of the cold tub. I just thought with my condition, I'm supposed to avoid going in the cold. So I, I finally was thinking that uh, I'd love to try it anyway, just in case I have the pills now if it triggers. But I wanted to just make sure that it doesn't kill me. So I started looking up ways to withstand the cold. And I came across this Wim Hof breathing exercises. And I think the breathing's helped me more than anything. It just fully oxygenates my whole body. And I just feel... Uh, feel incredible doing it. So started doing that and then obviously changing the diet and making sure I'm living clean. And But those are the, probably the biggest things. It's is the Wim Hof method stuff. I'll give him all the credit. And then just the drugs that I can get down to small, small amounts that doesn't affect me mentally anymore. So take me through this breathing exercise. What does it mean? How do you do it? How often do you do it? How long does it take? 
It's a bit of a cult following if you look up Wim online. He's got millions of followers now, and uh, he's in the Netherlands. So when I first started doing it, I just saw it on the internet, and I, I realized what an effect it is having on my body, and I was having these weird I called them symptoms, but it was just a normal thing to learn that. So I didn't know that until I actually flew to the Netherlands. I went to go see him. I spent three days with him and tried to figure out what was going on with my body, why it wasn't reacting. So just doing the exercises, the breathing, normally my muscles would seize up and then nothing lets go unless I take these drugs. But doing the breathing, you know, right in the middle of it, they'll just release. And it's the most incredible feeling that I've never had before. So I got really excited and then I can take less drugs. So I don't need to have that other effect where it causes me to miss a day or two after. And then the cold, he's able to control his temperature. And that's exactly what my issue is. It's malignant hyperthermia. So my body gets too hot. He's known as the ice man and kind of the internet culture. He's actually able to run a marathon in the desert with no water. And his skin temperature didn't say the same. So I just wanted to ask, like, how he's able to control. And he always says it. he's not just like a freak of nature. He wants to <laughs> he wants to show other people how to do it. So I, I learned as much as I could. And even that small amount of time. But I'm, I'm still, you know, learning about my body and still trying to you know live most healthy. But the breathing, I think, is what's helping me the most of anything. So how did you find him? Honestly, it was like a, it was, I was looking up how to withstand the cold in the cold tub because I didn't want this thing to trigger. And I was thinking maybe it'd be exercises or something like that that would, you know, get my body warm enough that I could try it at least. And then, you know, just doing his, his method, his, his breathing exercises, it's like a controlled, I don't know how to describe it. You basically take away the most oxygen you can by holding your breath and then you, you oxidate your full body and your, and your, your body then, you know, processes oxygen way easier and my muscles just don't seize up. That's kind of the easiest way to describe it. And when you started explaining this to people in the hockey world, did their brains explode? Oh, I was telling my family, my dad's like, maybe you just don't tell people that, you know, he's <laughs> like a crazy person. But to be honest, I feel great. And if other people want to try it, it's worked for me. So maybe it'll work for them too. Hey, I say this all the time. It's only weird if it doesn't work. You know, so the medical part, you feel like you've solved what were you dealing with from a mental perspective over the last eight years? I know you said your your perspective was seemed really healthy. It was like, hey, look, at least I don't have, you know, a fatal disease or a terminal disease and I can kind of go about living a normal life. I've had a pretty successful career. I've made some money. I was a first round pick. I was on a team that went to the Stanley Cup final. You were part of a lot of things in a, you know, relatively short period of time, but did any part of you feel like, man, I, you know, I was robbed of what could have been, or I wanted to do this. Was there bitterness? What was the mental part of it like? Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why I'm here. I felt like I would have loved to have kept playing. If I could, I would have. So I, that's why I promised myself that if I ever had the opportunity to, again, if I ever felt like I could play, at least I would try. So that's where we're here. That's where I am right now. And no, I'm trying. It's it's not easy. It's It's been tough. Some grueling days, but uh, yeah, I think it's rewarding just more mentally than anything. Like you said, it's knowing that you can compete and that kind of stuff is, you know, secondary to the mental aspect of it, of just feeling better and, and contribute. It's n- it's nothing like there's It's a lot of guys talk about this when they're retired and I've gotten a lot of texts from guys that are saying, you know, they would love to have done that living through me that guys have retired because uh, when you leave the room, it's a different feeling. You know, when you're in that camaraderie and you're, you come to practice every day, you develop a family and that when you're retired, you don't have that. It doesn't matter what kind of, you know, work you get into or what culture you're a part of. It's there's something unique about being in a, a hockey environment and all having the same goal and trying to win. And uh, you can't replace that. So I'm fortunate to be able to have a, basically a second chance. But not everyone can do that 
for just even from a physical perspective, like you mentioned the medical side, but what about the physical training side of, you know, I'm sure you mentioned, did you say 47 or 48 pounds heavier than you are now? What were you at your highest weight and, and to get back into playing shape, that's a whole other story at age 34. Yeah. I mean, I was talking with Brad Wheeler, we call him wheels. He's, you know, he skated a ton of guys for a long time and, and I would come out, like I said, maybe once a summer and I'd, you know, keep up and, and just try my hardest. And then it would be tough to, you know, to really do it in the next day. But working with him, he's like, if you lost like 50 pounds, you'd be great. <laughs> like, well, it's easier said than done wheels, but it's like, no, that, that stuff's easy. You can take care of that. That most people have a, would have a tough time just trying to keep up in the games, you know, but I felt like my mind was still sharp. I still was competitive. I still wanted to be in it. And, uh, it's just my body needed to respond. So, and luckily it's held up really well. What were you at your heaviest weight? I was 233. Okay. So now, and now you're down to what? 189. Yeah. Something like that. Nice. So as you're training and you're trying to make your way back and you're setting some goals for yourself, obviously this, where you're at now is, you know, you've made it to that point, but what is the ultimate goal? Is it to get back to the NHL? Yeah, obviously I think that's the way everyone plays. Why everyone wants to get involved in the game is to, to be at your best. And hopefully if, if things, uh, you know, keep progressing and I just keep working hard and eventually hopefully get there. I, I don't know what else to say. Like if you're, if you're not trying to make the NHL, I don't know why you should you'd be playing professional in anyway. So I think everyone's goal is to try to be the best they can be. And hopefully that can take me to the national hockey league again. I love that. So you make it to Milwaukee, you play two games and then you get hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice welcome <laughs> back to pro hockey. I got hit the first game. I broke my rib. Uh, I was still using basically men's league equipment. I, I left all of my stuff in Nashville. I, I didn't touch my gear for about five years. I still like to be around the game and I still would, you know, go to the Preds games and, and help out the kids and things like that and do charity appearances. But I, it was really tough for me to watch a lot of friends still playing. So I would keep track of them and keep tabs, but I didn't touch actual my hockey gear for five years. We sat in my closet and then uh, JP Dumont in Nashville. I said, Hey, we got some alumni guys coming out. You do you want to try? You can play. If you can't, you can't, who cares? No one's there trying to prove anything. It's just the alumni guys having fun. And, and that's really what got me back into hockey is just, it's good for your soul. It's nice to be out there and, and be back in the locker room and playing hockey with the guys. And, from there, it just kind of progressed, and I was playing maybe once or twice a week. And then when I got back to Toronto and realized that I could play a couple more times a week, and it just kind of progressed from there. So it's been a slow process, and uh, it hasn't been easy, but I'm glad uh, I'm glad I stuck it out and at least given a chance now. You have the broken rib, and obviously you've rehabbed from that because you've returned, but how does someone with a broken rib do his breathing exercises? <laughs> it was painful. No, it actually really helped to, to heal it though. So yeah, I broke broke the rib, bruised the lung, and then that was like the, the second period of the first game. So I was able to play the second one, and then by the third day, it was pretty tough to breathe and uh, had to get it looked at. And then it was, sure, it turns out it was broken. I got to take a couple of weeks off. You weren't going to let that derail you though? No, I think I'm just the adrenaline, you know, <laughs> trying to, to, you know, keep up and, and everything going on. You don't really worry about, you know, that you're ribs hurting a little bit too much but I think we had a day off the one day and I was like this is really hurting so I gotta go check this out it was nice to actually have that little bit of a gap to get up to speed and I flew back to Nashville got my old gear so now it wouldn't happen again I'm not taking stuff off the shelf for men's league gear and and getting out there and also gave me a chance to get into new skates I was using skates are about a decade old my first couple games back that's awesome uh 
Cody, your story has been tremendously inspirational to me. Uh, just listening to it, I'll leave you with this. You know, the streak ends for the Admirals at 20 games. Uh, you're riding your own personal streak now. You've got goals in a few straight. But as you come down to the stretch of the season, I know your goal is to make it to the NHL. What are you targeting for the end of this year? And what what's your thought process heading into the summer? How do you get someone to take a chance on you? It comes down to how many games. I just want to get in as many games as I possibly can and do well during that time. And then we'll see, you know, see how realistic it really is. But for now, I'm just focusing on on trying to help the team win and and generate some opportunities for ourselves and the teammates. And I think that's all really what happens anyway, normal hockey. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Cody, love your story. Love your passion. Uh, All the best. Thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Cody for taking the time to join the pod, and special thank you to Charlie Larson from the Milwaukee Admirals PR team for coordinating our chat. You know, just listening to him, Cody Hodgson's a really easy story to root for. I mean, I don't know what we would peg his chances of success of making it back to the NHL at at this point in time, but finishing this season strong with the Admirals and given what he's already scored in just a limited period of time, it wouldn't be surprising to see him be on a team's radar this summer heading into training camp next season. Who knows what he can make of this story, and I wish him all the best. To come back at age 34, it would have been easy to quit at that point, but when you keep a promise to yourself, it, it shows you how far you can go. That'll do it for this week's edition of Frankly Speaking with Yeah, 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 Here's Chaos. Dork.